<laughs> Sorry, welcome. If you're new, my name is Ron and I'm your pastor. I am glad that you are here. We don't mock Brazilians all the time here, only Alan because we love him. And today we are in the book of Jeremiah. We are going through a series called Restored, where each week we are looking at a book of the Bible to connect it in the grand theme of God's story, from Genesis to Revelation, from the garden to the city. And today is Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Whew. Now, I've just got to say up front, I, I am a little flustered. For those of you who are here on time, we had um, Jared had a seizure in the parking lot. So I'm a little jittery, and I said, Lord... Help these jitters get out of me. And then I held my hand out, and it was like as calm as a surgeon's hand, even though I've had like five cups of coffee. Um, so whatever it is, it's working. But man, Jeremiah, this guy is kind of um, a whiner. Okay, we're just going to call it like it is. We all have one of these. If you've got more than one kid like me, you classify your kids. That's the happy one. That's the smart one. That's the whiner. Or in my case, I think... Uh, this is the smart one, this is the kind one, this is the Hulk, and the Hulk is my daughter, for those of you who haven't met her. Uh, it's just the way it works out. And the prophets is the same way. Each prophet has a distinct personality. Each prophet has something that they are trying to get across to God's people at the given time that they are proclaiming this. Now, Jeremiah is living in the final decades of the, the tribe of Judah. So when the southern tribe of Judah had not yet been taken over, the kingdoms had divided, Judah was on a downhill decline, Jeremiah comes to bring the word of God to his people. And he has this twofold part of the book that he talks about in, uh, in chapter 1. He says, I'm going to give these words to pluck up and to break down, to build and to plant. So it's this idea that Jeremiah is going to bring judgment and justice but then he's going to bring hope and new life. And this is what the book sort of bounces between. This, God is coming, you have sinned, it is in the wrong, but I have a new hope, I have a new plan, and I am unfolding it before you. I love, love, love the chapter we are going to be in to this morning. So we're going to be in Jeremiah 29. If you have not, if you flip to Jeremiah, just keep going. If you don't know where Jeremiah is, check the table of contents. Flip to the middle of your Bible. If you see Psalms, go to the right. If you see really weird names, go back to your left, and you'll find Jeremiah. If you have the exact same Bible as me, it's on page 656. Good luck. We're going to pray and read his word this morning. Father in heaven, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would bring healing to Jared's body, that you would bring comfort to Bree, and to the kiddos when they find out, Lord, let us rally as a family to lift up the Weems family in prayer. Now, Lord, as we dive into this passage, this amazing passage about living and loving the city that you've planted us within, I pray, I pray not only that you would open our eyes to see your word and open our ears to hear your words, but that you would compel our hands and feet to action to care for the poor, the widowed, and the orphan, to push back the darkness and brokenness in our communities. Lord, make us people who follow not only what you teach us to do as individuals, but what you call us to live like within a city. It is in the precious name of Jesus I ask all these things, all God's kids said. Amen. So we're going to be in chapter 4 of verse 29. So before I do that, does anyone in here have a coffee cup, bumper sticker, t-shirt, or have you ever in the past with Jeremiah 29, 11 on it? Anyone had that? Okay. 
These are very popular. So if you are like me and you did not grow up in the church, you may not know, like, what is Jeremiah 29.11? But if you did grow up in the church, I mean, church people almost get this tattooed on them as they come out of their mothers. This is how like prominent this is. If you're, if you're any sort of southern denomination, we know how your life cycle went. Your mother got pregnant. She gave birth. You came out. You hit the baptismal. You fell in, got baptized. The Bible was memorized upon you. They stamped you with Jeremiah 29.11. And then you were a Christian for the rest of your life. And this is how it goes. Now, this verse is amazing, and we're going to get to it, but I just want to let you know that if this is your life verse, I am going to ruin it for you today. Okay? If you look to this verse to give you comfort and hope, you will go out in tears and distress. And I love you still. Okay? So we're just going to read and stop, read and stop our normal go-to. Verse 4 of Jeremiah chapter 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So at this point in the story, Babylon had come in. The great big bad Nebuchadnezzar had come in. He had taken the Israelite people and he had spread them across the Babylon empire. And this is what Jeremiah's word is to these people who were uprooted and divided. Verse 5, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Here's a key verse. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. We'll stop right there for now. So here's what we have. The Israelites had been infighting, and then all of a sudden the kingdom divided. And God says, okay, you've been denying me. I've said come back, and you've said no. I've said come back, and you said no. I've said live this way, and you've said no. So now I'm going to use this kingdom from the north, the Babylonians, to come in, and they're going to scatter you and wipe you out. They're going to uproot you and spread you through their empire. And this is very, very wise of the Babylonians to do. Because whenever you come in, you have a few options. If you're going to be an oppressive leader or oppressive empire, you can either enslave the people, but when you enslave anybody, eventually their anger rises and they uprise. Or you can try to just wipe them all out, but then rebellion pockets will always fight. And they'll always create this momentum. But if you take the people and say, we're just going to spread you out, 5% here in this country, 5% over here, then all of a sudden, what you begin to see is that the people will lose their own identity. And this is somewhat happening to us now. I think for us in the day we live in, we are spread thin, and there's a danger that we can either become separatist Christians or become assimilating Christians. That we can either say, I'm not going to have anything to do with the people outside of my bubble. Because I love my Christian bubble, I love my Christian mug that has the deer and the life verse, I love my Jeremiah 29-11 stamp, stay out of my bubble if you're a bad person. Now just a newsflash, you're a bad person and you're in your own bubble. Okay, but other than that. Or we can be the assimilating Christians that just say, you know what, we're, we don't need values, we're just going to let the empire take us over. We're going to believe what they believe, do what they tell us to do. And, and I see some of both of these things happening in the church today. The Jewish people were given a much different call. It wasn't this separate, it wasn't this thing that says just um, cut off everyone around you. There was a sense where Jeremiah is telling them, look, I've got a plan for you. The plan is this, love your city 
for in its welfare you will find your own welfare. And the word here for welfare, it's a very popular word. It's the Jewish word shalom. Everyone say shalom. Doesn't it sound nice? You should bless people with that word shalom. It means peace. But it's not peace in the way we think of it. It's not just peace as an absence of conflict. This is a holistic peace. Like life is as it should be. Everything is right and blessed and before God in the manner that he had created. So when this passage is being read, when Jeremiah is speaking this, he's saying, seek the shalom of the city where you now live. And so many of us, I fear, have not had this mindset of being for the city. The city is, is that place. The city is the litter. The city is the traffic. The city is those 20-year-olds with wicked big beards and flannels in the middle of July. The city is expensive lunch. So I'd rather be in the suburbs. Now, if you don't like the city, that's okay. But I'm just going to forewarn you, you might not like heaven either because heaven is a city, right? So when we all get to heaven, all the New Yorkers are going to have to teach us how to use the subway system. It's, it, God's not calling down the great suburbs of the kingdom. The suburbs are where we have retreated to because we Google great schools and then we want to get our kid in a great school. And then Hillsborough County jacks us up with new school borders. That was this last week. All the angry parents say amen. Okay. <laughs> I just need my own therapy, you guys. This is my therapy session. Okay. Now, we need to ask ourselves, do we love the city that we are called to? We can go to a city to get something. Or we can go to a city and engage with a city to give to the city. And this passage says, Jeremiah says... I want you to live your lives. Take wives, build gardens, eat food, give your sons and daughters away in marriage because you are going to be here for the long haul. Do many of us take that approach with just our city? And I don't mean Lithia because if Lithia is a city for you, that means you grew up like in Plant City. Okay? So like just keep going until you hit a toll road and you see a building taller than me. That's more like a city. Go downtown, and when you get mad at somebody in traffic, then you know you're in the city. And how do you engage your city? Is it just a place where you go to do commerce? Or when you drive in, do you see the hurt and the brokenness and ask yourself, what can I do about the city? How can I seek the welfare of the city? And it's hard. It is a big task. There are thousands of people that are homeless in Tampa City alone. There are foster programs that range all the way out from Lithia Pinecrest all the way to the other side of the other bridges. There are kids who do not have parents who have made it all the way through the foster system and are now graduating high school. And the only guidance they have are social service workers or foster parents. What are we doing to seek the welfare of our city? And I know it's hard to think about that, especially if you live in the suburbs. I'm a suburb-type kid. And then we have different ranks of suburb kidness, right? And suburb divisions. Because some suburbs have no trash in them ever. I've joked about this often, and I literally cannot figure out how this happens. Because I know the fishhawk teenagers, I know they litter, I don't know where the litter goes. I know that they break things, I don't know how things get fixed. But if you go to the city, it's not the same. Is it... Maybe the time for us as just of people who love our city to say, I am for Tampa. When I see a bag of trash on the ground, I'm picking it up because it's one small step. 
when I see somebody that, that is trying to get into a building with a much too heavy door, am I going to open that door? Am I going to start being for my city in such a way that I want to seek the absolute welfare of this city? If you're in industry, if you're in whatever industry you're in, if you're in sales, if you're a teacher, if you're an educator, if you work at the hospital, if you're a military personnel, are you here to give to the city in such a way that it will begin to flourish more and more? And you might be thinking, how can I do that? I'm just one person. You are just one person. I, was, I love this illustration of um, the water droplet. It, it's going back again to mountains. I, I apologize for using mountain illustrations in Florida all the time, but it's just my whole life. I grew up with mountains, okay? So for those of you Floridians, mountains, tall, dirt, up high, bigger than sea level. But I, I love the idea of like a water drop starting on the top of a mountain. And then if you could just follow that one drop, and it begins to go down the mountain, and it meets a friend and becomes a bigger drop. And then all of a sudden it meets a few friends and it begins to carve a little channel in the snow. Sorry, snow, frozen water, fluffy falls from sky. Moving down the mountain and it creates a channel and then it gathers with more of its water droplet friends. Now that one water droplet, if I were just to fling that on you right now, you would be like, oh, stop spitting at me. But I warn people, this is the splash zone, you know this, fair warning. And you wouldn't be bothered by it because one water droplet, what does it hurt? But if I took a, a bucket of water and dumped it on you, the bakers, they would say, that was unkind. If I took a fire hydrant and directed that water pressure towards Steve, our head greeter, I would just blow him right out of the back of the building, and he would say, that was not kind, Pastor. You need Jesus. And I would say, yes, I do, and yes, it wasn't. Now, if we took an ocean and just had it roaring upon us, the amount of strength when water combines is immense. Growing up in the ocean... I remember trying to fight waves, and I still do this now, and thankfully in the Gulf I win every time because the waves are ankle biters. But I would, in California, the waves would come, and you would just want to see, like, could I stand? And it would just smack you like you've never been smacked. Think of like a belly flop times 10. And then I, I moved to Hawaii, and I knew in Hawaii, like, don't be that dumb. And then I would see tourists come to Hawaii. We called them shark bait. This was before they were there for the week and they turned all red and then we had a different name for them that I can't tell you. Um, we called them shark bait because it would glisten and, and the sharks would be attracted to them. But they would go out there and you would see these people and they were like from Kansas. The strongest thing that they felt is a breeze in the ocean, in the plains, you know, with bison roaming around. I don't know, I'm just judging them. And they would say, ah, look at this wave. I'm going to just let this wave hit me. Now for those of you who don't know, I'm going to rank waves for you. Gulf waves, spitter-spatter. East Coast waves, from what I know, I've said, how big are they? Oh, they might they got big waves over there. And they're like, yeah, this big, spitter-spatter, sputter. Pacific Coast waves, you get some bigger waves. You'll get some overhead waves, but you can just dive through them. If you dive through a Hawaii wave, it will slam you on your neck like a sumo wrestler on steroids. The waves move faster. They're stronger for whatever God-ordained reason and I've seen them lift up shark bait, sorry, human beings, and flip them down. Now, one speck of water will not do that to any of us. But when you get one drop with another drop with another drop with another drop and a reef system and a current and the breath of God moving us, the cities will change. Do you care about this city enough to bring change? Because... Jeremiah says something very terrifying. For in the welfare of the city, you will find your own welfare. If the city does well, you will do well. If the city tanks, your welfare will decrease. Your shalom will decrease. 
man, and then it gets real. I, I love the prophets because they, they just punch. They don't pull their punches. Verse 8, seek the good of the city. And now he's just going to come after some really um, devious stuff. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to them. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So this is Jeremiah saying, seek the city for the good of the city, for Tampa. Not for Tampa, but we're for Tampa. He's for their city. And then he says, watch out for the devious people. And he calls them right out. If, you, uh, if you're in your Bible, you flip back a, a verse, but if not, I'll read it to you. There's a false prophet named Hananiah. And Jeremiah calls him out because Hananiah was saying, thus says the Lord of hosts. Uh, in chapter 28, verse 2, the God of Israel, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring you back to this place. Within two years, I'm going to bring you all back because I've broken Babylon. And Jeremiah says, he is a liar. I love this, like prophet battling. As pastors, we do this like in the blog world nowadays or Twitter, right? Some pastor says something dumb and I'll hop on and be like, you're dumb. And then someone will be like, you're unkind. And we just talk like second graders at each other. I mean, not really. We use big words, theological things, because we paid a bunch for our piece of paper that says we could be pastors. But, but here's the amazing thing. I love that Jeremiah says, no, Hananiah, he's lying. It's not two years. Don't listen to that guy. Make sure that you're listening to good teachers. And for you, the church today, I need you to know there are very, very bad, terrible, poor teaching, lying teachers in this world that exist. So always weigh them against this book. Weigh me against this book. If I say something that goes against something that you read in this book, bring your copy of this book to my face and say, hey, 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 what about this? And hopefully I will say, yeah, yeah, I need to repent. But there are teachers that will tell you that today you can have your best life now, which is ironic. I always think that is the most ironic title for anything a pastor could say, that this is your best life now. Because if this is your best life, that means your next life is hell. Isn't that weird? Like, let me sign a book, your best life now, this is going to be great. And I'm not picking on him. Yes, I am. Okay. Because I want you to know that your best life is in Jesus, and the best you will ever experience in life is when you're in His presence. Because in His presence, there's no more cancer. In His presence, there's no more seizures. In His presence, there's no more kids having fevers for 30 days. In His presence, there's no more kids mouthing off to you and yapping about dishes and yard work. In His presence, you and your spouse can sit and have a cup of coffee for 17,000 weekends and you'll never bicker with each other. I don't bicker with my wife, but I've heard that that happens in marriages. Okay, we're perfect. I don't know, I don't, I don't. I don't. This is the fountain. See what he did? He brought this book up to me and he said, You sinner! Um, did you know there's a Sunday school song? Liars burn in hell, something like that. I don't know. Okay, we're, we're moving on. We're moving on. So, so watch out, church family, for teachers who are going to creep in and they're going to be slippery in the way that they tweak your eyes and your hearts away from God. In the way that they're going to tweak your eyes and your heart away from God's plan and toward their plan. Churches do this all the time. Pastors are prone to this all the time. Authors are prone to this all the time. We must measure and weigh things against the Word of God alone. I, 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 love, um, I love our signs. The All About Jesus slogan on the bottom. And for me, that was like a... I'm not going to lie. That was just a passive-aggressive dig at pastors who put their own names on church signs. Okay, I can't... I'm not, I was going to try to lie and make me sound better than I am. But like I sinned because I think they are sinning in a different way, which both are bad. 
right? I've repented, but I do love that we're all about Jesus. I love, I love that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if I'm standing here or another person is standing here because Jesus is the central figure and aim of what we strive to believe and embrace and live for at the chapel. And this, this core must resonate through how we love the city, must resonate with how we look at false teachers. If a teacher says, hey, if you come to me, if you believe this, if you do this, if you buy this, if you trade this, then you'll get blessed and you'll have health. I mean, let's just be brutally honest right now. If you want a healthy life, physically, don't come to the chapel. The last year we've had a terrible track record. From the time that I interviewed, one of the people on the committee two years ago had been having seizures. One of the people had lost, uh, had lost a dear friend. Jared had a brain tumor, just had a seizure this morning. Charles, one of our other worship leaders who was on the keys today, has cancer. And by the way, um, that cancer, since he had his large tumor removed, they had a scan, it stopped growing. So praise God for that. Yeah. I'm pumped. And so I'm, I have all these things. I, I, I preach on the book of Job literally two and a half, three weeks ago, whenever that was. My kid has a fever for a month. We're in the ER twice. He's like 106,000 degrees. By the way, he's doing better too. 48 hours, fever free. Praise the Lord. I told him not to touch any of your children. I said, if you see somebody with green nose, run after you kick them in the ankles so they don't get near you. But, but I mean, life does not just get easier when you become a Christian. And some people want to sell that message. That's not a message that's coming. If Jeremiah were to get that message, he would do what he did here. Liar. Boom. Smack it down. And we shouldn't be afraid to call out people in love. And just so you know, for those of you who think I'm picking on that particular pastor who wrote Your Best Life Now, um, he and I shared a very intimate moment at Disneyland together. And, um, and I like him. He's a great guy. So I'm just going to say that. I appreciate all that he does for the ministry and um, all that he proclaims of the gospel of Jesus. Because we all have things wrong in our doctrine, right? Nobody's perfect. Nobody has it all figured out. We're going to get to heaven and we're going to say, oh, me, oh, my, I had this wrong. How did I not see that? Um, we didn't see it because we're humans. We're finite beings worshiping and engaging with an infinite God. We're humans with pea brains. Most of us couldn't pass the third grade again if we tried right now. And we're trying to understand the eternal words of the living God of the universe who speaks things into existence and sustains every dust particle on the farthest planet in the farthest galaxy. And we're like, okay, God, I get it now. No, we're learning, but we press into this book to find truth. Now let's keep going because I've got to get to the coffee cup verse. I've got to get there. Whew. Okay, for thus says the Lord. So Hannah and I said, you're going to be free in two years. Now here's Jeremiah bringing the truth. And we know now because of history, this is what happened. For thus says the Lord in verse 10, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Here's the coffee mug verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. Then you will seek me with all your heart. So here we go. Hannah and I said, you're going to be free in two years. Jeremiah said, liar. This is what the Lord says, 70 years. How many of us, let's just be brutally honest, get super bummed when God doesn't answer our prayer for, let's say, four days? Right? For, sometimes we pray 
And I pray this way, though, because God says, pray like that widow that's just begging. I'm just going to beg you, God. I'm going to beg you, God. Don't ever stop praying. Sometimes there is this tendency to stop praying for things because we've prayed so much for them. I've prayed for my wife's uh, cyst in her brain. I've prayed for that thing. And there have been times where I think, oh, God, don't you know? Is there like an echo button? Come on, man. I'm just I, No, I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep begging. But I know sometimes I do this. Okay, God, can you do this? Please, I just need you to come down. And I wait. Okay, I'm going to ask you again, God. Can I just really, could you come intervene in this situation? I want to see something happen, some change, some hope. Jeremiah says, you're going to wait 70 years for your life verse. You're going to wait 70 years for your, I have plans for you. You're going to sip out of it, and that coffee is going to taste a little bit bitter for 70 years. Are we prepared to live under this city, the way that it is, the brokenness that it has for 70 years and still embrace this promise. Because that's a core of what faith is, saying as jacked up, as messed up as this is, as much as I don't understand, I'm still going to trust and believe that God is good, that God has a plan, and that God will win. That's just a paraphrase of that verse. No matter how hard it gets at your job, and no matter how long you have to endure it, are you still going to say, I'm going to trust that God is good, that He has a plan, and that He wins? And I know that's hard, because we want our answers now. We want our answers at least within a year. Some of us want our answers in 10 years, would be ideal. Some of you have been praying for things for decades, and you're waiting. Keep praying. Keep waiting. Keep trusting that God has a plan, that He is good, that He loves you and that he wins. For I know the plans I have for you, Lord. <laughs> if you have that coffee mug, just get a Sharpie and just write 70 years of misery and pain. <laughs> Drink that bitter pill. I'm, I'm in. I'm game, fam. Verse 13. I'm going to read it again. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now we live as exiles in this place. We should not just separate ourselves as we have so often done. Uh, there was this big movement, and I don't know how it started. I haven't really dug that deep into it. But at one point, Christians were all in the cities. And then we all retreated to the suburbs for the better schools, and I get that. For the safer neighborhoods, and I get that. But we forgot to go love the city and be a part of the city. And many of us have to go to the city every day. Now we have to realize that we should not separate ourselves and be in our own bubbles, but we should also stand for something. We shouldn't be the churches that just assimilate and say, well, I'm just going to believe what the culture believes because it's way too hard to stand up for biblical values in a time when biblical values seem at odds with the culture so often. Like, how do we even talk about sexuality and gender now? Because when you do, you're labeled something instantly. Whichever aspect you're talking about, you'll become a bigot or homophobic or transgenderphobic, or you'll say that they'll say that you're just one of those conservative fundamentalist people, you know, catch up with the times. This is 2017 for crying out loud, which I always think is comical. Like when we, any of us, when we or they or whoever, whatever team, when you quote the year as evidence for something, it's like a regurgitation in my, my brain. I'm like, just stop. What does a year have to do with anything? 
They use a real argument that's sound and rooted in something. But you know what you can't do either? You can't just bring this Bible into somebody that doesn't know Jesus and begin to whack them with it metaphorically. Because guess what? They don't believe that this is an authority. So this means as Christians, not only do we have to stand with the power of this and not assimilate to what the culture believes, not only do we not separate, we have to engage, we have to do it intellectually, we have to do it with some measure of intelligence and grace, truth and grace. And I think too many of us love the truth one and we leave out the grace. We're willing to bring the hammer of God, but we're not willing to catch them when they're falling. And then some of us bring so much grace that our truth is like a, just a spent and used spaghetti noodle. There's no truth. There's no backbone. There's no spine. It just flops down and gives into whatever thing comes from the culture. Where are you going to stand as you engage the city? The, the amazing news of Jeremiah, as he keeps on pressing into the book, is that he points to the new covenant. He says in chapter um, 31, I will put my law within them, and I will write on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So before the law was on tablets, Moses, the tablets, the law. And Jeremiah says, yeah, that's how it came. But that was just to show you that you were sinful and fell short of God's glory. And now God's going to write it on your hearts. He's going to scribe his law on your heart so that you will know intrinsically, and then you'll begin to delight in living for him. You will all of a sudden, things that you did not like before, you will begin to love. All of a sudden, things that before were your go-to moves for joy and pleasure, your go-to things to get approval and the acceptance of others, all of a sudden you say, I don't need that because I've got Jesus. And this is where we get the power to live for God in the midst of brokenness around us. Because we get our identity and worth from Jesus. Because while we were yet sinners, he came to us. While we were part of the city of man, as St. Augustine says, he left heaven to die for you and for me, and then he wanted to give us his laws internally. He wanted to give us a new heart. He took out our heart of stone and gave us a heart of flesh. He rewired us. And, and I know some of you think, okay, wait, rewiring? This sounds weird, so let me just put it in very like life practical terms. Sometimes in life you go through things that change you radically. And if you look back in your life, you can maybe see a few of those years, like, oh, when I went through this, I came out a different person. Are you guys tracking? Whether it's breaking from some addiction, sometimes it's something like you get in a car accident and your car flips over and you walk away a different human being. Sometimes it's things like having your first child. You come out of that labor and delivery room a different human being. Sometimes it's when you get married to your spouse. Sometimes it's when there's pain in marriages and heartbreak and loss, and divorce, and death. Whatever those things are, encountering God, Lord willing, should have been one of those things for you. Or maybe it is a process of being that right now. Where all of a sudden, as Jeremiah says, things that you once thought would give you the value and the worth that you needed, things that once gave you the pleasures that you sought after with everything, now seem empty and shallow. And all of a sudden, it's a new set of rules that's coming from within. All of a sudden the sex, the money, the power, it lost its flavor. And you see those things as good things that God created to enjoy, but they're not the ultimate thing. And now you don't have to amass power to be worth something. You don't have to amass wealth to impress others because you know that your dad owns everything. 
you know that no matter what you go through in this life, whether you do not have a home or you have the best home on the block, your true value is wrapped up in who Jesus is and what Jesus says about you. And fam, if your faith is in Him, what He says about you is good. I was in a circle this morning with the band members and we were talking about who God's favorite son is in the circle. Because this is what nerdy ministry people do. And we were saying, you know, oh, I'm, I'm daddy's favorite. No, I am. Why? Because, and this is like, we, we get very inappropriate. Let's just say that, okay? And there was one point where, um, where our web guy, Greg, you just see him back up a little bit because he's like, lightning's coming. I'm just backing up. Back and up. And as I always tell you, if God's going to bolt somebody, he's going to have good aim. He's God of the universe, right? So you could, you could be hugging somebody and God will vaporize them right from under you. Uh, that's my belief. But, but this idea that who's God's favorite, anyone who says, I am not worthy, I need Jesus. And Jesus says, good, I found you worthy so much so that I came from heaven to earth to die for you. And now I've put my laws in you. I've put my spirit in you. Are you grateful for that? Are you thankful for that? So now let's go live like I've told you. Let's run from these things that are cheap thrills and temporary pleasures and run to these things that are eternal and lasting. Let's run from a self-centered, me-centered life and run to a life that is for the community, for others, for the city, to show compassion to those who need it desperately. This is what we are called to do. Wow. Man, I love Jeremiah. Next week, we're going to be in Lamentations, which is Jeremiah crying for a bunch of, a few chapters. Watch the video. If you've never watched these videos, every week around Tuesday, we post an intro video up that explains the whole structure of the Bible book in about eight minutes. And it will illuminate it and prepare your hearts to hear his word. And I've been a little whiny lately. It, you know, my, my wife will let you know that I've been, I've been whining and griping. I had a man cold, which is more severe than a woman cold. Um... Because women get cold and you guys can still like clean and do all this miraculous stuff. I don't know how you do that because the man cold is far worse on the body. Um, scientifically speaking, I read a study. You know, you do that. <laughs> but, um, but please check that out. And then um, I'm going to pray. Invite up Edwin. Actually, Edwin, can I do today? Okay. So let me pray and then we'll, we'll, after that I'll bring the host forward. Father in heaven, may we be for Tampa. May we be for Tampa in such a way as a church body and may other churches be for Tampa in such a way that as a capital C church, we can see the tide of darkness being pushed out. Lord, I pray that the impact of the capital C church, the collective gathering of all the churches in the Tampa and Hillsborough area, I pray that we would have such an impact on this community so, so that people who today are sinning and running from you and seeking their identity and worth and value in something other than you, that they would run to the church to find warm embrace. Lord, for too long the church has been a place where sinners don't feel welcome. I pray that they would find their way to a church family like the chapel where we openly can confess our sins because it's all about Jesus here. Lord, I pray that as we are radically changed by His love for us, that we would be compelled to bring radical change to our community, to seek the shalom of our city, and in so doing, find shalom for our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.